This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we accidentally recorded a news roundup episode. We'd set out to record a much shorter bonus episode where we would react to audio of Alex Jones formally breaking up with Trump over the Syria bombing. But along the way, we got into a discussion about Syria itself, the Viet Cong, the future of imperialism in the 21st century, and at the end, we tackle a long overdue national conversation. So you'll notice this week that it'd be the first voice that you'll hear when the podcast starts is Alex Jones. We skipped the intros, but for the record, the three people recording were myself, Donald, and Rosa. Enjoy the show. Okay, here we go. But I have a Trump call me in six months. Wouldn't care if he called me every day. I'm not going to cuss. I will tell Trump that you really betrayed your family and your name and everything you stood for with this horse manure. And I'm not ashamed of backing Trump because in my spirit, I knew that he meant well, but they have broken Trump. That raid on his lawyer, the FBI, if you've got a bank account wrong or ever filled out a bank deposit wrong, they call it wire fraud under federal law. It's totally out of control. They went in there and they raided his lawyer that's unconstitutional and they got that, nothing to do with Russia. And they got his bank records. And now the globalists have got Trump by his huevos. Well, you know what the globalists told me? You better roll over and take your kids. The globalists told me we're going to kill you. The globalists told me we're going to sue you. But you know what? They're a bunch of scum. I didn't roll over. And it's not because I'm the biggest, baddest guy in town. It's because I realized bowing down to scum like that's the death of me and my family. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's so much... There's so much to chew on here. Like, first of all, there's the whole, you know, like, why don't you call me anymore, Trump? Why don't you text me back? But the other thing is, like, he ties it into, like, why he lost his kids. It's because the globalists are coming after him. <laughs> it's not because he's, like, a right-wing psycho who's on the radio. Yeah. The I think that, uh, I don't know, he's kind of overestimating his importance here. But let's just face it. Like, he was one of the first people to give Trump a platform on the media. Like one of the first times no, Trump talked. I mean, for his presidential campaign. No, he was the Trump was all over the media from before he even started running. Like he got a shit ton of coverage the entire time. I, Alex Jones. Alex Jones did have it was like midway campaign when Alex, when Alex Jones had him on there, but he was he definitely opened him, he opened him up to a whole like group of people. Like he made like Trump like there's there's millions of people who watch Infowars in this country. Let's just face it. Like and. He he really did help contribute to the myth of Trump as like this anti-establishment, like anti-political, like you know, candidate. I mean, I, I think at some level too, that's like the influence of like Paul Joseph Watson and the connection to the alt right that they were sort of building on that show yeah. at the time. I feel like they just kind of saw which way the wind was blowing. But and and but the other thing is too, I think there's also just an element of like. Alex Jones really isn't like as aloof as he thinks. And like the minute like any celebrity or anybody of importance pays him like the slightest bit of attention, that's all like he really needs to, you know what I mean? Because he, he starts off by complaining that like Trump isn't calling him back. You know what I mean? I mean and you know, I thought of Trump as a bigger man than me. But you know what, Trump? Alex, 
Emmerich Jones is bigger than you. Because when the push came to shove, you put your tail between your legs, and you crapped your pants. And that mean I hate your guts, but let me tell you, you ever call me again, I'm going to tell you I'm ashamed. Yeah, see, now I don't want you to call me. If you even call me, I won't even answer. It's like he's breaking up with an ex-girlfriend. He's like, no, that's, that's don't even he, call me. Don't even he, call me. I'm, I'm gonna, if you do, I'm going to tell you I'm ashamed. You betrayed me. <laughs> you know, he literally says that later. But So when I turn against Trump right now, it's not because they put pressure on me. It's because the pressure is doing the right thing. Donald Trump is two inches from being dead to me. How many other news outlets just did a 34-hour live broadcast trying to stop this world war from happening? Oh, I just watch Facebook, Twitter, and Google. I'm not just... You know, normally you have hundreds of thousands per feet. They didn't when former head of British Armed Forces questions the mission. Yeah. I love, I love, I also love how Alex Jones thinks like having a 34 hour broadcast will somehow stop like the Syria bombing. Like, well, it's, the fucking, the like it's a fucking Jerry Lewis telethon, but for the war. <laughs> but this is like the ideology that he has is that like if he exposes like the, you know, the evils of the globalists to enough people, like, you know, everyone's going to, like, take up their guns and rise up and, like, we're going to bring back the true American Republic or whatever. And it's going to, you know, God is going to be on our side. Well, and that's what's so weird, too, because it's like it's all over, like, it's all over. I mean, maybe it's all over my YouTube because I'm a weirdo, but, like, it's all over YouTube. It's all over the place. Like, how much more exposure does it need, you know? Like, it's you can't, like, do this thing where it's like, I'm on, I'm on, the, I'm on the radio and I'm broadcasting the, the pirate signal. You know what I mean? It's not like the early days of the internet. Like this stuff is—it's everywhere. It's almost mainstream. Like how much more? Oh, exposure? Well, yeah. Infowars is like you know basically a media empire now, just like any other. You know, it's totally acceptable and mainstream in America. And I thought about this a lot actually, because I've listened to a lot of Alex Jones, and the reason I I think that he's so popular in America is because if you really like look at his conspiracy theory and his whole ideology. It all goes back to Satan and the devil. Like in the end, the globalists are taking orders from Satan and it's the devil and it's a battle between God and the devil and good and evil. The globalists are on the side of the devil. America's on the side of God. And we need to like save America from Satan by, you know, getting rid of the globalist. And like, you know, all these crazy ideas he has, like if you believe in like, you know, that Jesus is going to come back and like reading about the end times like it's not that far-fetched to believe the other stuff alex jones says and the fact that he grounds it in like god you know makes it already like appealing to a lot of american christians i mean i don't i mean i honestly i feel like that is almost i mean there's an element of that but i think it's more just kind of the fact that we just have like such normalized corruption in the united states as a part of the like everyone understands like the system's corrupt and so just appealing to that and providing like a story for why that is, I think just goes by itself goes a long way. Oh, Especially yeah. one that's, a, that's as simple as, you know, you know, cause again, America, you know, it, we are like a very isolated country in a way intellectually uh, because, you know, we have a basically hegemony over an entire hemisphere and we don't really deal too much with the other cultures that are around us. So it's very easy to say like, there's these foreign forces that are conspiring to emasculate America, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's also just structural anti-Semitism. True enough. Because he loves his freaking kids, man. I mean, I feel like I just had my best girlfriend break up with me. I'm in the, in the left. Yes, man. there you funny, go. Man. Go back to the video. Go back to the article. God, God. But they can break anybody. Fox News has it live, MSNBC. 
I love I also I also love this idea where he's like Trump, the strongest man ever, has been broken. It's like if they can break Trump, they can break me, and I'm next. And I'm just he's he's like he's scared. Like I, I wonder how much if he's like acting or not. Like how much of like to what extent does he actually like believe what he's saying? Because initially I thought it was just like an act. Like this is just an act that he does for money and things like that. And you know, he's just been doing it so long. It's just like he can do it very well. But it, this this like this like weird mental breakdown thing live on air makes me think that it's not really an act or if it isn't still an act, he's a really, really good actor because he's just having like a weird meltdown and oh, he's, he's like he incorporated. Does, well, this is this is a collection of clips sliced together over a long broadcast. And he so has it's not had like, a lot like of a meltdowns. continuous stream of thought. But I but, actually here's the thing though. It is acting, but it's method acting. And sometimes he gets lost in character. Yeah, that's kind of true. Sometimes he just like I don't know. There's some really goofy clips of Alex Jones. Like, there's the one where he's like wearing the reptilian mask and like talking about how like he's part of the cabal of reptiles and doing like this fake New World Order thing and how he wants. I don't know. Like, it all comes down to like the globalists hate Christianity and hate God and they love Islam and they want to use Islam as a way to destroy Christianity. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't think it's an act. I think he really believes this stuff. I think that he is deep down like some kind of like, you know, Protestant Christian who has like this whole like ideology that he's created. And and it's not in really internally consistent. But again, because he can just bring it all back to God, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Oh, and I'm going to try to cover some of this news, but I I'm not being a drama queen here, but I was basically told by the Democratic Party, and it wasn't even unofficially, they were just like, you know, stop supporting Trump. And it's the opposite of what my ex-wife says. She says, you know, oh, the system took the kids away from me. No, you got the kids back because of who I was part of the time. And then they sit there and they're like, you know, if you just turn against Trump, things will be better. But he was doing good, and that what makes it so bad. Oh, and that's what makes it so bad. He'd have been a piece of crap from the beginning. It would be so bad. But we made so many sacrifices. <laughs> and now he's crapping all over us. It makes me sick. Yeah, again, I lost my kids because of Trump, not because I'm a fucking nutcase. I support Trump on tax cuts and sovereignty and everything else, but I just... You know, I know he brought Bolton in. He believes in his advisors, but God almighty, I believe Roger Stone when he said, get Roger on. We go to Zach right now. Is Zach still there? I remember Roger going, don't worry. He's an apparatchik. He'll do what Trump says. You know, if Russia was still communist, if Russia was still anti-God, if Russia was doing all this and we did this, I'd be all for it. Russia is out <laughs> under the globalists. Oh my and god. Like yeah, this is like this is where he gets like super pro Russia. Right yeah. Now. I was saying what I thought was funny is that he tries to call on Roger Stone. Like, you know, well, Roger most Stone goes on that show, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he goes on the show all the time. But like, I don't know. It's just like he Roger Stone's kind of like become like Alex Jones' right hand man in a way. Like 
not right hand man, but like this really important figure to him that like is like this real authentic connection to Trump or something. Yeah. But the guy is just such a fucking like crook. Like he's a, a proud like you know you know affiliate of Nixon in his crimes and like he's just like as much of a sleazy political establishment figure as you can get. I just and he's crying about the globalists and the political establishment. His answer is the call of Roger Stone, who like was just one of the sleaziest like political people. Like, well, I think I think for him, like Roger Stone is like his Mister X or like his deep throat. Like he's the one, you know, he's the man on the inside who sees the evil and is like follow follow the follow the clues, follow the money, Alex. You know, and just like then, spoon like, feeding him that shit. Well, yeah, I mean, you could you could sorry. say the same thing about Trump, like. Trump is basically just like a New York elite sort of person. He was close friends with Jeffrey Epstein. It was even on like on the list of people that was on the supposedly on the Lolita Lolita Express. He was like one of the people on there with like Kevin Spacey and Bill Clinton. So it, it's it's just like if like if Alex Jones was following his weird conspiracy logic consistently, he wouldn't be pro Trump. He wouldn't be pro Trump at all. He wouldn't even be associated with Roger or any of these people. If you feel like a schmuck, I hope all the people out there that have been crying Trump Russia for a year and a half and just watched the deep state remove the first American president in my life, <laughs> then then you they no, should no, feel I like totally a totally agree. Though. I'm a I'm hurt by Trump. But the liberals and all, they're just scum. They're so bad. And they love agree the They're just so evil, man. They are so evil, Owen. The, the buddy of Al-Qaeda. Hit pause. Back it up. He said Hillary's the founder of Al-Qaeda. Well, you're now the butt boy of Al-Qaeda, Trump. You now give them fluff for, you know, services. I mean, I'm serious. I will not sell out the truth. I will not sell out who I am. So screw you. Owen, I'm serious, man. This is BS. I'm really freaking pissed right now. Well, I think the scariest thing is I, I don't believe. Here's the thing, man. There's another, an honest, scorned woman. But, Owen, you know, we have, we have maybe Trump in three or four days will disprove us. Maybe there's some weird wrinkle I don't get. But blowing up a bunch of Russians and Syrians that have fought so hard makes me feel like a piece of crap, man. They I don't feel like a piece of filth right now. I feel like filth. I feel like filth. I never feel like filth. I don't like feeling like filth. I've given up everything in my life to be a good person, and I did everything for this guy, and now he has sold us out. I'm just, like, picturing, like, Alex Jones, like, crying in the shower and, like, punching it, like, invisible. On a bunch of these things and thought he was, I physically feel like I'm punched in the stomach. Am I wrong? Or I just metaphysically... I, I, I feel like this is a big blow to the country. I my, my gut's never wrong. I I, I mean, I, I feel like I just got my ass kicked here. They never got their ass kicked. They never didn't have their bills go through. Everybody's so candy ass. They go, oh, big deal. We blow up some Russians at their air bases. They just beat ISIS. F them. And it's not kissing the Russians' ass. It's kissing the truth's ass. And I'm sick of this crap. And I'm done with Trump. That's it. I mean, you know, like Trump said, Hillary and Obama created ISIS. Well, but 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 but, but Trump, it's Barack Trump. Trump uses him like a prophylactic. He just shoves ISIS up his big dirty asshole. Right. I love this part. I love this part. All right, I'm sorry. We got to TV. Apologize to TV stations. I just cannot. 
<laughs> Show me nicest of dirty this ass. Such a big nasty thing. I don't know how to go back on. Well, that's what I'm saying. We just don't. And have it's pudding. not like we're just. <laughs> I love how he always interrupts this guy too. Doing this to be popular. I don't give a freaking. I, I cannot handle this. Owen. I'm ready to kick somebody's ass, man. This is bullshit. All right, delay that. Delay that right now. I should probably go off here. We should probably go finish up. We'll end this transmission. Midnight's coming up here. I, I, I can't be on air anymore. All right. Well. I will not be on the side of ISIS and the Saudi Arabia and the globalists. I am tired of this. Well, we're going to keep promoting free market and the Second Amendment and, and, and Christianity, and we're just never going to stop, and we're standing against radicalism. Is the answer, though, to turn – I mean, is that the answer? To, do we have to turn on Trump? Do we have to turn our backs on Trump just to just – to, Try to save Trump at this point. I mean, no, I agree. I, I, no, I think he takes us for granted, like you know, dog I'm, crap on his shit. Like him saying that, him saying that. I think Trump takes us for granted. Like he finally figured it out that like Trump doesn't give a fuck about Alex Jones, and like it's kind of like the same thing with Stephen Steve Bannon. Like he just used these people to get like more like voters, and you know. Well, yeah, it's like, like that, that's that's what it's, it's, as soon as they were useless, like he, he took in Bannon and then like threw him out as soon as like, you know, everyone realized he was like a far right nut job who reads Julius Evola. And, yeah, like, well, and that's what happens when you have like politicians where there's no basis of accountability to like a political constituency. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't, Alex, he didn't, Alex Jones had no way to keep like and Trump accountable. Like he had no real, real power. I mean, besides helping to sort of stoke like the, you know, internet conspiracy circles that, you know, maybe had some influence on the election. I mean, I mean, it's funny, yeah. though, if you think about it, like, just as a mental experience, think of like, the total, you know, amount of people who voted for Trump at the election. I mean, think of like, how many people left of that are actually still pro Trump. Like, yeah. it really seems like, like, isn't his approval rating at, like, 25% or something no, it's, like that? No, it's actually, it's actually gone up. It's creeping up to 50. Oh, yeah, it's because he's bombing people. So, yeah, liberals like him again. Well, it's also just, like, the normalization <laughs> of just, you know, like, hey, this guy's president. There's food in the store. You know what I mean? Like, the electricity's on. You're just going to you're gonna get points just out of that just being president. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. I, I mean, I watched, like, Rachel Maddow just get, like, a massive lady boner from fucking Trump just doing the air, sh doing the fucking strikes. So, you know, may maybe the liberals can just, like, get around the whole Russia thing. Like, they it's like they don't really, like, factor it into their worldview. So, you know, it's just like when they're doing when trump is doing the neocon thing of just blowing shit up in syria they're like oh that's good yeah yeah it, 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 that's good that's that's entirely good he, he's he's being very presidential right now well it's interesting yeah. too like this is where you do kind of see like maybe the most clear expression of like horseshoe theory in terms of reaction to syria because remember like this is what set what set alex jones off here was uh basically Trump bombing Assad in Syria. And like that wasn't like that was bad enough for Alex Jones to get him to break with Trump in like a you know a pretty pretty hard to walk back manner. <laughs> you know, on the air. And sitting with the all right, like last time, you know, Trump bombed uh bombed Syria or Syrian forces, like the that was the point that like 4chan was like, fuck Trump, we're pro-Assad, you know. And yeah, Richard Spencer actually held an anti-war protest. And, like, that's when he was just like, yeah, fuck Trump. Like, a year ago, like, when last strikes happened, he even made, like, a video 
basically saying the same thing that Alex Jones said, just in like a very like calm, you know, pseudo intellectual way. But yeah, like the alt right, the real alt right contingent has like given up on Trump, and now that mm. Alex Jones is giving up on him, that makes me think that even some of his more like fringe contingent might be giving up on him at this mm. point. I I. When I was like looking at like right wing Twitter and that sort of thing, it was like mixed. There were like people being like, "Well, you see, it's just a singular strike. It's not like he's gonna do a full war thing. World War Three is not gonna happen. This is not an escalation like a long proxy war that they've been having. This is just, you know, he's he's still gonna pull out, guys. He's still gonna pull out. Just you wait. He's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Mission accomplished." And, and, you know, and then there were people like on on like Twitter, like, fuck Trump, Zionist fucking pig, cut, you know, C word, whatever, that sort of thing. And there was there was this one Zionist Trump supporter that was like really big and ha- showed like this picture of like of like uh, city getting blown up, something like getting blown up blown up i can't tell if it was like from the feed that was going on or whatever but basically like just half half of the comments were just calling them like a like this um the k word k word yeah did nothing wrong it's because he had zionists in his profile that's like the alt-right's whole like theory is that basically like these wars aren't bad because they're wars and they're imperialistic per se. They're bad because they're on behalf of, you know, they have the idea that through the Israeli lobby and through, you know, Jewish influence that they make us fight all these wars for their specific Jewish interest because, um, I don't know, reasons. Well, there's, also, so, there's also the idea that it's like it's feeding into like fundamentalist Islam just being like set up by the globalists. Oh, well, yeah, there's also of, that. Yeah, like a lot of the all right. They really and they see... have a dictatorship, dictator fetish. So Assad is cool. And Assad's not only a dictator, but he's gassing Muslims. So like that's pretty fucking awesome, right, man? Like that's what that's literally the stuff I've heard all the alt right say. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like Assad is like the epitome of like beta uprising. You know, he's got a weak chin. You know, he looks a little weird. But yeah, he's, I was, he's, I was he governing has, like, he an alpha, like a blue He's governing forehead. like an alpha male. Like, I was watching like a video with him last night, and he, I was watching a video with him last night where he was just talking about like he was being interviewed, and he's just like basically like like they're saying like oh like we have all these reports from like Amnesty International about like prisons with like seven thousand people and like torture and like mass executions about jury, and he's like well like those sources can't be trusted and I want real evidence and like not testimonies because like if people can make stuff up, but he was just basically just saying like, yeah, like you can't accuse me of anything because you don't have enough evidence that I've done bad things. That's just like, how can you even doubt that like Assad has like committed war crimes at that, at this point? Like there's no doubt that he has committed war crimes. And like, that's one thing that really annoys me about the whole tanky take on this stuff is that like, they really act like Assad has like somehow been framed for like every supposed war crime he's done. When like even if he was like the great progressive figure he was, war crimes probably would have happened because war by nature is very brutal and ugly. Well, what we yeah. need to what we need to do is the problem is like there's this weird kind of you know like the kind of the the hegemonic uh, kind of 
poisoned ultimatum that's put to us is um, if if Assad did this horrible thing, then therefore, if we do nothing, we are somehow morally complicit, right? Yeah. And so, but Which it's is also, already like a, it's also but that's like from the beginning a stupid moral framework. But that's how but that's how it's framed in like pretty much every like major media yeah, outlet. Yeah. So the, because there's this whole idea of, like, of we, the American nation, need to do something. We need right. to do something. And if you don't, you're somehow like weak or not like meeting your moral obligations, or you're not standing up to Hitler or whatever. But the like the problem with that it's is like, liberals that, eat this up so much. Yeah. Well, and but. And so it's like we kind of need to reject that framing and not just go the other way and go, oh, no, Assad's great. But just like Gaddafi, he was going to get off the oil dollar and print his own currency. And that's why you know, the globalists yeah. took God mad at him and he yeah. banned GMOs. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure if the attack was legitimately from him because there was we haven't really done like an investigation of yeah that's what yet. i'm saying it's just too soon it's too soon to tell but like all these like people have such like invested interest in proving yeah. that like one like, side we, did it when it's like we don't know yet let's just well, accept the facts that we know that a well, chemical weapon attack u.s intervened and there's growing imperialist tensions like that's yeah. all you it, know. It seems about, though, is that they did bomb like before they like on monday they were set to go in and investigate and Probably maybe the only like sane sitting politician on this has been like Corbin. And he basically pointed out like in 2013, they went in and inspected, they found chemical weapons, they took them out and it was fine. You know, like there is precedent for this process working. So there definitely is, you know, some imperialist like chicanery afoot Yeah, here. exactly. Even if it was yeah. all about stopping chemical weapons, there are ways that we could fight this legally using international law. But it's yeah. not about the law. It's about, you know political power on a global scale yeah. yeah i mean also we we let israel basically use white phosphorus against civilians in palestine and just gun them down publicly and and you'll hear uh fucking chuck schumer just just say shit like oh there's no citizens in gaza there's no citizens in gaza um it's just hamas and and the idf so yeah, gunning those unarmed civilians down when they're protesting, that's okay. That's okay. Using white phosphorus against them, that's okay. But Assad, Assad doing that, he's not on our side. He's not on our side. So you can't you can't be allowed to do that. This is a See, humanitarian crisis. And that's the thing is that that's why the tanky position has appeal to some people because it's like. I mean, it is basically true that the U.S. is, like, a hundred times worse in terms of all these other, like, smaller wannabe imperialist states, basically. Like, you know, like, the U.S. is really the main, is really the worst thing in the world right now. But at the same time, like, this, it's, there's, and so this urge comes to, like, well, we have to defend this guy because he's the little guy. We got to stick up for the little guy against the big guy. But it's like, you can be the little guy and still be a tyrant, like... Yeah, it's like, yeah, Russia's definitely weaker than the United States, you know, it's it's basically been like neutered by the Soviet Union falling apart. Its birth rate is like, uh, it's not particularly well. There's been an economic recovery somewhat, but it's I still mean, pretty awful and their military's not up. It's not up to snuff in general, is, and they're just a weaker power, but. They're weaker than Europe and the NATO bloc because they're being propped up by, you know, they were reconstructed and propped up by the U.S. capital after World War II. But the thing is, there is growing concentration of monopoly capitalism 
and finance and growth of like concentration of like financial institutions and banks in Russia. Like I think the Russian bank is like the largest bank in Eastern and Central Europe, for example. So like they are like, you know, developing as an imperialist power right now. Yeah. And they definitely it, are like there's definitely like war profits to be made yeah. through it's intervening sort of in Syria. It's sort of developing from the weapons industry in Russia. Yeah. It's sort of developing from like the mobster capital black markets that existed under under the late Soviet Union and were fueled by like uh um Kush I mean fucking Gorbachev banning alcohol and that like helped them like gain traction by selling alcohol and eventually like after after the Soviet Union fell apart they were able to like yeah. just grab as much power as humanly possible. Now it's so, just like mobster capital all the way down. That's why prohibition is always bad. That's why this yeah. is all Gorbachev's fault. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. This is all you ruined your world. country, sir. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like this serious stuff is important to talk about, though, because there's really no one else in the left that's really, I don't know. I just feel there's such a lack of, like, good takes in the left. Like, even if I'll read, like, something that seems to be, like, critical of Assad, yet critical of the United States, it'll still be, like, something that's saying, well, you know, technically, if we could do airstrikes that weren't, like, killing civilians and only, like, stopping chemical weapons... We'd be, you know, stopping the uh, Syrian people from suffering this much because, you know, we, why, why would you be so purist and, you know, not let us, like, you know, do that kind of intervention? But it's like there is no such thing as that kind of intervention. Like, there's not going to get this, like, fantasy scenario where the U.S. missiles heroically take out all the bad things and yeah, the we, bad guys can't do the bad things we, anymore. We, we already like, did. It doesn't work like that. We already did an intervention like that in Libya, and look look how well that turned out. Look at how supporting the rebels, like just just denying like the airstrikes, okay, getting rid of the air superiority that Gaddafi had. Look at how well that turned out. They basically the rebels were basically able to win. They created a unitary government, and it fell apart into like weird chaos. And now like Wahhabists are running wild. Jet female genital mutilation is like their open air slave markets. It's just a miserable fucking hellhole. And well, it's like, it's like people people have no understanding of like this these of like what's like the sociology there, these cultures, the history. It's just like yeah. oh, there's bad man over there. Bad man, go away. Well, yeah, they don't. Man, I think that away. there is <clears throat> like a, a dom. There is like an underdevelopment in the Middle East that's led that's you know obviously caused by imperialism. And a lot of these regressive patriarchal forms are maintained. And so there's this kind of enforced backwardsness on the Middle East where you still have all these like patriarchal tribal affiliations. And so when you don't have a nation state keeping everyone together, it just kind of falls into these religious tribal affiliations and yeah. they form militias based on those. You know, that, that's like it, kind of it, seems to be what happened in Syria. I mean, and it Gaddafi, seems like something could happen in Iran, even. Gaddafi and the regime was just awful, and the same is true of Assad. You know, these are like uh, Gaddafi had like people in like Africa, like uh, people in like concentration camps and things like that. But the, you know, say what you will, they had one of the highest standards of living in all of Africa, and it, it, 
you know, you can't really argue on a utilitarian level that th- they have been improved thanks to U.S. intervention. Oh, not at yeah, all. And, not like, and it's not like these people didn't emerge out of a vacuum. It's not like he's fucking Doctor Doom and like he came in, in a mask <laughs> and started yeah. like, "I'll, I'll get you, Syria." You know what I mean? Like they emerged out of like the contradictions of the sort of political and historical circumstances of, the, of these of these societies. So you can't just go like, "Oh, we'll just we'll cut off the head." And then that, I don't know, it's, 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 I mean, it's utter idiocy. And I think on the plus side and on a more optimistic note, I do think more people are recognizing just how idiotic this is. Yeah. Um, but the problem is like a lot of people are like going at it from a right wing perspective. Cause they're like, Oh, the U S is like helping you. They're not helping Russia and Assad fight the Islamists. They're cucking out to the Islamists right, or like whatever. Right. So there's like, like there can be this regressive anti-imperialism that I mean, I think some people like are too obsessed with pointing that out and it's suspicious because sometimes they seem to have like cruise missile politics often that they kind of like are more quiet about, but they're really loud about like calling out like these more regressive forms of anti-imperialism. You got to watch out for those people because like a lot of times when push comes to stuff, they'll be like, well, you know, if the U S you know, I support strikes if they're not against civilians and against chemical weapon facilities, like, I feel like that wine is like very Weasley and social imperialist. I mean, I don't know. And every time I've seen it been defended, I'm like just disgusted. Yeah, like you're 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 in like this situation where you're between like the fucking Workers World Party, PSL, like uh, what is Marcius. what are they called? Marcist, tanky, like Nazbol Brigade. Where they yeah. want to touch tips with the radical right, <laughs> well, and it's, you it's, got it's you got and you got the cruise missile fucking uh, yeah uh, pseudo trots missile crowd, yeah the pseudo trots the cruise missile crowd the freaking neocons just in waiting and weird sock dems it's just it's just the worst position you could possibly be in honestly. yeah. It's just I mean, pathetic, too, because we can't really get like an anti-war movement off. I I disagree. And the last, it could be worse. It could be worse. It can well, always it, be yeah. worse. It can always. I be mean, worse. we we didn't get World War Three, but yeah. Russia is like threatening the United States now. China's saying that they're going to align military more militarily with Russia. And Trump is trying it's to do not... this stupid fucking trade war with China, like. And and Macron <clears throat> just came out and said, we, "We've convinced America to stay in Syria," and it's like, uh, I, I, oh, hate, boy. I hate Macron so much. He's like the new Tony I, Blair. Yeah, just the fucking frog Tony Blair. He's he's worse than frog Tony Blair. He is a piece of shit. Like he he honestly like. People thought, you know, when Trump we elected the new Hitler, that guy's fucking scarier than Trump. Like, well, remember all the people who are like, oh, we, oh, we gotta can't say talk too much shit on him. Le Pen, Le Pen, Le Pen. But it's like <laughs> this dude's pretty bad. Like, yeah, yeah. like it's you know, uh, it's it's it, it's it's fucking frustrating. I mean, I mean you, oh, yeah, it it's just like Hillary, but. Hillary circa 2008 or Hillary circa the 90s when when she was kind of racist. I was saying going back to the Nazbol thing like I'm not even joking that like 
like Nazbol being like red brown, like like you know red fascist like type politics, like trying to combine Stalinism with like fashy like authoritarian like state nationalism or whatever. Like I feel like it is actually true that you know groups like WWP and PSL have sought out alliances with people in these sectors of the right, you know, and that they you know, believe in building this broad anti-imperialist front. And that means that, you know, we need to reach out to the Syrian Social Nationalist Party if we have to, because they're, you know, they're part of Assad's, you know, cabinet, actually. So it, it, it's it's very disturbing how the kind of anti-imperialism that's become dominant with, you know, people with the left has basically become, like, strategically in practice has led to like attempts to form like red brown alliances basically yeah there was a there was a report from the um southern poverty law center i guess where they exposed like a bunch of stuff but yeah i mean those it took that, it down that got it redacted. took it down yeah it yeah got but redacted. it was all true it was all true and that's what pisses me off is that like they tried to like make it out to be like a smear against the anti-war left because PSL fucking thinks that they are like the embodiment of the anti-war left, and that the answered coalition is like the true voice of but, the anti-war but, sentiment. But Donald, 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 the the, the 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 WWP got 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 a letter from from Ho Chi Minh saying thank you once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. An ML was actually going on about. It's like, yeah, that was back when WWP was actually a relevant organization. And, like, the thing is, like, back in the 1960s, like, at least, like, if you were rooting Ho 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 Chi Minh, like, there's, like, an ostensibly progressive, like, side you're fighting for. Yeah, there was, like, like a patina of, like, socialism, like, in the Viet Cong. Yeah, it's yeah. like... Only I'm not going to lie, like, people are probably like, going to call me even... a soft tanky for this, but the Viet Cong were pretty badass. Yeah, the Viet like they at least had like a like a trot faction at the bare minimum they had a trot faction well they got purged things. basically yeah they, yeah but still they they had there were, there was, yeah. yeah i can't imagine too many trotskyists like hanging around the assad regime i'm gonna be honest yeah, yeah. like i mean let's just face it like yeah Viet the Viet the north vietnamese and you know the Vietnamese army is not the same as the Syrian Arab army. Like, even if they commit the same amount of war crimes, just the nature of the regimes and like, you know, what classes they, cause like you could say that the Vietnamese essentially represented like the, the revolutionary like forces of the bourgeoisie, but like in a distorted form or something like that. I don't know. Whereas like with yeah. Assad, we're not talking about a progressive bourgeoisie, like, you know, battling yeah. against like feudal reaction yeah i mean yeah they battled against feudal reaction they battled against like cambodia just genociding their people just fucking committing mass murder yeah. oh yeah people will give you shit for being like oh so you think vietnam should have invaded uh, cambodia that's imperialism it's like fuck that's the not imperialism like, what definition of imperialism do you have to believe in to think that yeah, no, no. When you're shooting everyone who has glasses, that's the point where, yeah, you know, maybe if someone steps in, well, that they might were, be a good idea. It wasn't even just, like, them stepping in. Like, Khmer Rouge were, like, killing ethnic Vietnamese near the border of Vietnam. Like, it was yeah. a matter of, like, saving people from ethnic cleansing. So, yeah, yeah like, I'll take the North Vietnamese over the Khmer Rouge any yeah. day. And the Khmer... Uh, 
the Kimmel Rouge were being backed by the United States too. Yeah, because they were backed by China primarily. And yeah, at part that of that point, was like a China Russia proxy fight. Yeah. Yeah, because China hated Russia and Vietnam was more like associated with Russia. And um, Pol Pot was backed by China. And China was like actually working with the US as well. So therefore, the US backed Pol Pot because China was like, they had this dumb theory that like Soviet social imperialism was like the main enemy against like true people's revolutionary movements rather than like, and Soviet social imperialism just meant the influence of the Soviet Union on that web movements. Like it was the dumbest theory ever. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, like Pol Pot was specifically like, is, is kind of weird nationalist, like, I, I don't know what to even call it. It's just like you, you, you get rid of people who are living in the cities and you make them go out into the country. It was just, it was just weird. It, well, there it just... was also an ethno-nationalist contact to it, though. So it was, it was kind of like, um, it was kind of a fascistic thing almost. Like, it's almost like Maoism gone fascist in a way. Yeah, we, we make a joke regularly like, about and like, i don't um, like uh, i don't like saying red fascism but god like khmer rouge comes close no no it's communionization theory oh god <laughs> i mean here's the news trump i'm not dog crap on shoes brother you are crap on my shoes you son of a bitch you will freaking get it you get ready and all Mattis and all those little chicken crap pieces of filth are gonna go to hell you join radical islam f you to hell you sons of bitches I swear to God, I'll get your ass. They hate everything. They'll go, oh, look, Alex Jones doesn't like Trump now because it's Syria, blah, blah, blah. And in all your trashiness and your love of radical Islam, God, I hope you go to hell. Like, 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 I'm mad at Trump and I'm hurt like a woman that just caught their, you know, whatever, cheating on him. But you are the enemy. You, you are the problem. And, and they're going to get what they want, which is a war with Russia. God, those communists are amazing. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so, that, so that back to Syria, because we went on a whole diversion about Vietnam. I, I mean, I was going to say, like, I feel like something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is Marxist theories of imperialism. And it seems like at the bedrock of Marxism, if his Marxism is true, we should be able to understand imperialism in an economic sense. As in we see like how imperialism is rooted in, you know, the reproduction of the material society. And we understand it in terms of that, not in terms of like states having certain ideas of what like we don't see imperialism in terms of oh, the US just has like this national, like nationalist ideology of dominating people, unlike other countries or something like that. Like some Duganist perspective or something like we see it as rooted in political economy. But like I was saying, like we have to look at imperialism as something that's rooted in political economy. But I think that the left has kind of failed at doing this because most left analysis of imperialism is still based on like a pamphlet from 1915, Lenin's Imperialism. I, there's a lot about that pamphlet that doesn't ring well today. The whole idea of imperialism being defined as a stage in capitalism. Like, I don't, I don't know how well this, this really holds up today. I mean, I, I don't want to be, like, weird, but I think, like, maybe Kotz, Karl Kotsky's theory of 
uh, ultra imperialism kind of maybe holds because well, it, it, it was it was done before World War One, and obviously at that point it was wrong because you know the whole thing is like centered around like basically the world powers being like like a cabal almost like just like unified. And sort of acting like police actors across the world and being more or less like unified. That that kind of fits more now than it did like pre-World War One. Yeah, this like, is alright, this is what I this is my problem with Ultra Imperialism. I thought the same thing before and I thought about this. Because it kind of suggests that like like there may be periods where there is almost kind of like a complete dominance of one empire over the entire world, like for example, England. But the thing is, like these periods of dominance, like eventually are going to see other powers rise and other powers, you know, develop into imperialist powers to compete with them. So um essentially like these periods where maybe like there's like a unipolar, so like you know, you like a lot of tankies, so like they actually use the Duganist multipolar and unipolar thing, where like you know, there's it, it, like the whole idea of like a unipolar world order kind of falls apart when you see how like Russia and other countries are starting in China are starting to develop their own imperial ambitions, and it shows that like maybe like the the, the the imperialist war doesn't happen between European nations carving up the rest of the world, but now third world, previously third world powers are able to become imperialist contenders. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's related to, it's related to economic development of like capitalist societies. Right. Um, but, but you know how that, how that, cause you know, capital evolves and develops is like, there's, you know, the organic rising composition of capital, there's technological innovations, right? And so that will change the nature of capitalism as time goes by. Then you have like contingent, like geopolitical circumstances that will shape the forms like imperialism will take. Um, I mean, I guess what we can do as Marxists is look at the sort of the imperatives of capitalist accumulation and try to understand how those might be influencing like the foreign policies of countries and how they shape, you know, the form of like imperial domination um, in like different uh, eras. Now, what would be the the exact correct theory for imperialism now? I'm not really sure. I'm not even sure really if you can have like, I mean, I don't know, like could we create like a unified field theory of imperialism within Marxism? I, don't I know. mean, I think we could not complete a theory, but make a, I don't know, we could create new con like questions or whatnot and answer certain questions. Uh -huh. And I think, I mean, a lot of this stuff has already been debated heavily. Like you have the whole yeah. idea of the imperialism of free trade, which is basically the idea that like the global imperialist powers basically just are enforcing free trade on a global scale through like proxies and police actions. But I think that, you know, it kind of suggests there's this unipolar world power that rules over the rest of the world. But I think we're entering into a phase, like I said before, like where the U.S. is in decline and previously backwards countries are going to be in the ascendance, you know, and they're well, going I, to, and there's going to be imperialist contradictions that rise out. Of, not to sound too world systems analysis-y, but like I do think that there is like 
like McNair points out how the U.S. empire is in a period of relative decline and like a lot of its military actions could be understood in terms of that as like a way to like shore up legitimacy and, in, in, you know, while actually being in relative decline. Well, one thing that's interesting about Syria is that, you know, like Assad was basically persona non grata to a lot of people, I think, in part because of the sort of squeamishness about human rights stuff that a lot of Western democracies uh, still hold, you know, at least ideologically and out in the open. But Putin doesn't really give a fuck. So he was kind of able to scoop up Assad pretty cheaply. And backing him didn't really cost Putin a whole lot. But the gains to be had there by getting a foothold in the Middle East were pretty significant. Yeah, right? Putin played this very smart. Like, not gonna lie, like he played it smarter than the U.S. because he didn't end up destroying a country. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, the, U the U.S. The U.S. Well, kind of has Putin or whatever, because obviously he's an anti-communist piece of shit. But I mean, as far so as like a statesman, he's proven himself pretty, you know, intelligent relative to the yeah, U.S. Yeah, like compared. Well, that's not really much of a accomplishment. We've been tripping over our own dicks like repeatedly throughout the Middle East for the past two decades. Well, but who's, dicks, kind of saying, who's, whose dicks though would we have to trip over? Like not, after that's the end of the what I'm what's saying though, I mean, because we're we, in relative decline. That's what we've been doing. We've just been well, tricking, tripping over dicks in the Middle East. Well, like we've wait, just what, been fucking up. Once the Cold War ended, there was nobody else to have regional hegemony in the Middle East, and Middle East is in their independence had basically been completely broken with the sort of fall of Arab nationalism. So, like, yeah, it, it makes sense that, like, Russia at this point, having sort of reorganized and regrouped to a certain extent, is trying to get a toehold back there because you know they got that uh, they got this you know resource rich region at least in terms of energy. So. Yeah, oh, and yeah like the Russian really. economy is like heavily based on oil at this point instead of like manufacturing and stuff that it it's... used to be based on during the Soviet Union. But I mean, I don't see how you can't. That. I don't see how you can't say that Russia has state monopoly capitalism with regard to like certain resources and like oil, for example, and that according to Lenin's theory. Like basically, what happens is like under in the phase of imperialism, state capitalism becomes monopoly capitalism, and trust and cartels form, and they bind with finance, and they influence the state to meet their interests in competition with other nations. And so, I don't see how, according to even Lenin's definition, you can say Russia is not imperialist. I mean, and I think you know, obviously, the big because it seems like that's what's going on. I was gonna sorry. I was going to say, what seems to be going on is that, like, you know, monopoly capitalists in Russia are trying to open new markets for investment, and they're doing this in legal finance capital who can speculate on these new markets. Hmm. And it, it, it totally makes sense, according to, like, any real economic theory of imperialism, that Russia is acting imperialist. The only argument that it's not is that it's weaker than the U.S. And, I mean, we also have, you know, as, like, this inter-imperialist conflict, like, escalates, we have Africa to look forward to. You know, oh, Africa, yeah. and you know, I mean, I, Africa, yeah, they, I think they've had it easy for a while, you know, I think, you know, I think it, they, it's about time that, you know, things heated up there a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I, th I think we, we need to do some uh, dick waving at China and China going into Africa. We, we need, we need to just plant our firm dicks right into Africa. It wasn't already <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I think that like it would be insane to think that what if, for example, the, the you know, World War One was followed by a scramble for Africa 
with mm. all these different and, like nations competing for influence in Africa and trying I to mean, colonize hey. and you know informally colonize as much of Africa as possible. So like the fact where like the only independent nation in Africa, Ethiopia, was still like basically a British proxy. Like Haile Selassie was a British proxy. Sorry, like. You know. Yeah, sorry to all our Rastafarian <laughs> listeners. But Haile Selassie was a, a British proxy monarch and oppressor of his people. But anyway, besides the point, <laughs> like, basically, it would be really crazy if, like, this imperialist conflict really ramps up in a scramble for Africa, but, like, kind of, like, in modern-style imperialism. Yeah. I mean, I think... I, mean, I think uh, oh, sorry, go on. Libya was technically in Africa. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people forget it's, that, but... I think yeah. that's the start of it. Like, I think it's Africa and North Africa and the Middle East are the hot spots right now. One of and Gaddafi's think... long-term projects was to like get Africa to be like united. For, yeah, like... I remember. Uh, <laughs> I remember like I had a friend who was just getting radicalized, and he's like, "Dude, Gaddafi's awesome. He wanted to like unite with Nelson Mandela and modernize Africa." And like I was like, uh, I don't know about that. But yeah, like he, he also said guns the nation of Islam in America for them to overthrow white. I mean, I don't me and Jake always like the joke about how awesome Gaddafi is. Like I mean, who's joking? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, is it, is but he really also had Francis Fukuyama as an advisor and like Wait, American think tanks coming. Yeah, yeah, but that's Gaddafi just, wow. actually that's did. Just, that's just being a baller though. Like yeah, you know, that's, that's just like, that's just hilarious. That just makes him more funny in my view. Like yeah, well, he, I think he. I mean, honestly, like the story, the saga of like Muammar Gaddafi, I think, is the story of a struggling author who just wanted people to read his book, and you know, like <laughs> he just it, wants people to read the Green Book, man. <laughs> but like the problem is, the the problem is, you know, I mean, he tried everything. Like he tried, he tried, you know, his style to get people's attention. You know, he tried leading a country, but like people just wouldn't. If if people had just read his fucking book, I feel like you know that whole situation would have resolved itself. Yeah. But the, I've seen those mean to- memes too, where it's like Gaddafi was trying to get it off the petrodollar and get off and get on the gold standard. Gaddafi was banning GMOs. Gaddafi was giving free yeah. education. And that's why you get like crazy, like right wing cra- people who are in the Gaddafi and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, but like going forward and looking forward, like an imperialism in the 21st century, you know, I mean, China is kind of the big thing. And understanding like the Chinese economy is probably another area for like further research because yeah. it is like a, an extremely like aggressive form of state capitalism. But I know there's debates about whether the law of value is truly operative there. I yeah. think it's yeah, operative that... like partially. It's not like operative to the same extent it is in the United States, for example. Yeah. But Wasn't I think there like. like... Wasn't there like a weird ultra left magazine that basically tackled this and they came down on the side of like it's a non mode of production? I mean, that seems like a bit of a stretch capitals. for China. I could see that for the yeah. USSR, but that seems like I, a I think China has capitalized, like they have like capitalized enough to where they are like in the capitalist mode yeah, of production. Like, like and I fair, don't see that lightly because I don't think the USSR was ever really capitalist. Tickton, I asked Tickton and he never got back to me. He never answered my email. I think it's because I like mess, misspelled his name or something oh, like that, yeah. and that might have ticked him off. You didn't. You didn't no, still no, have like. Didn't. You still. You didn't still have like some kind of like uh, like hentai profile on your pick, did you? Like no, no, <laughs> no, God, no, no. It, yeah. it, it, it it's it's Mike from Red Letter Media. Come on, it's it's not it's. 
I have to use the account for school, so it w- couldn't be a hentai one. I'm um, just making. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out. You know, because I, I do like this image of like Tikton like opening this up. Like, what the fuck is it? Uh, anyway, um. But I mean, I do agree though that Tikton is a starting point for understanding USSR. If you want to understand a Chinese system, well, we have to accept that in its formation, it was modeled by on the USSR system. But I do think that like Mao had some ideological differences that made him like kind of experiment with planning in certain ways, usually for the worst, to be honest. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like, like, what, like, sort of the the Western like financial press like have they have had like a track record of like predicting disaster in China. But they keep saying like the crash is just around the corner, but it never seems to happen. And I mean, there definitely are like instabilities in their economy, and I'd be curious to know like how they're how they're managing that. Well, maybe that's one of the arguments that people make for China being socialist is that it doesn't have like, you know, boom bust cycles, which I don't think is the case. I think it does have boom bust cycles. It's just state capitalist enough to manage them in a way that doesn't like result in like social crisis, basically. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. like, I think that they've kind of like found this combination of like state I don't know what it is, Stalinism or whatever, and like market capitalism that like basically allows them to really develop at an accelerated pace and to become like an extremely powerful world player at an extremely yeah. high rate. But what's yeah, interesting like, is like they still have this maintain and it's a maintenance at least of like a surface level adherence to like Maoist and Marxist like ideology. Which is not, really not so much Maoism, though, because yeah. they they yeah, say they that Mao is like, you know, a great father figure of our country. And he's like George Washington. But they also say that, like, yeah, he fucked up a lot and he was too. Communist. They don't like the great leap forward. They yeah, really they I really mean, and rightfully so. Like and also the Cultural Revolution, like the current government says, like, yeah, Mao is a good person, but he did some really bad things like the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution and he was a dogmatist, and, like, he needed to be corrected by Deng Xiaoping, and, like... Right, but, I mean, like, but even just the fact that they still have, like, you know, like the hammer and sickle imagery... Oh, the yeah, fact the, that fact still have... the fact that you still have, like, that you have, like, people like Caleb Maupin talking about there's no contradictionists and socialist billionaires, and, like, China, by, like, becoming ultra, like, neoliberal or whatever, is actually, like, the most Marxist yeah. thing it can do, because it's yeah. developing the forces of production. But this actually really like undermines how much capitalism develops the forces of production for real yeah. in its modern day era. Yeah, you you even have like Michael Roberts just being like, yeah, it's not really capitalist. And you know, the the Chinese party, the Chinese Communist Party is not actually a, not as bureaucratic as people think it is. It's it's like and he's like a weird cl- he was like a weird climate so i i don't even get where that's coming from yeah i mean i think it's sorry jake Marxist humor. I, I was just gonna say we could probably file this under needed further research needed <laughs> yeah oh yeah i mean there's definitely a ton of research to be done about china and honestly like one of the interesting areas is the cultural revolution but like as far as China as a modern day imperialist power, like there's probably a lot of information we just don't have access to. Mm. to be honest. Like I don't or maybe we just I don't know. 
we might not be able to like speak the correct languages to yeah. get the sources we wouldn't know to know what actually china is doing in africa yeah. and what kind of like neo-colonialism it's, is it's also like a weirdly totalitarian state so there's not there's like there's not that much information coming out from like dissidents and that sort of thing and it's like kind of hard to get that i mean there's like a chinese new left sort of but that's that's very underground it's it's very underground and it's not really the best from what i've heard like a lot of chinese nationalists some maoists some social democrats a few liberals in the party things like that so that it's so just like here basically yeah basically like <laughs> here but but it's more underground I mean, and... the thing is, though, like, we, we don't really even know, like, what else might exist, though, just because of... Yeah. And, but I don't know. Yeah, like, like, there's information about, like, labor strikes, like, uh, they've been having, like, waves of labor strikes that seem interesting. I've heard that, I've heard that's quieted down, though, recently. Oh. And the problem is, is that, like, they do have, like, all these labor strikes, but they're often very economistic and end with, like, deals made between party bureaucrats and the workers. So, like, yeah. it's, 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 it's oh. in management as well. It, it's, so, it's, like, weird. It's almost like you need, you need some kind of weird vanguard to step in, like, the most advanced elements of the class to step in and, like, move it beyond like trade union consciousness but that's yep. just that's just leninism that's just, hey you, you're a stalinist for believing that Van yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're just a few steps away from the gulag and you, you're an evil vanguardist the leninist, roots of the gulag are found the roots of the gulag are found in the merger formula rosa you need to learn that yeah yeah all right yeah, yeah. just kidding any other thoughts on syria for about an hour um well we kind of just went off on china but um, and we also talked about Russia, and I think that's kind of like the, you know, the three powers, the big be. players. Yeah, there's there's three Europe and of. and uh, who else? Uh, Iran. Iran is another player. I think that is like you know uh, not on our side and is on the side of the the axis of resistance, as the tankies would say. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Iran is actually fascinating because they did have like a really like class conscious workers movement in between the constitutional revolution and the Islamic revolution, you know, between 1911 and um, 1979, like there was like actually like, you know, a lot of um, the leaders, founders of it were actually Russian um, Bolshevik faction, like Russian social Democrats. And like Iran actually did have like the two day party, for example, which was basically just like a mass workers party. It was kind of nationalistic in some aspects and kind of like, you know, emphasizing Republican democracy, but also like, you know, espousing Marxist ideas. It was kind of a multi-tendency party. But like that whole history of Iran is kind of forgotten now. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. And also, like, that there was, like, generally sort of, like, interesting ways that the left ended up, like, supporting, like, the Islamic revolution. Like, you had, like, people like Foucault do apologetics for it. SWP had, like, social... was doing apologetics, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, weird. Like, I, like, you still get, like, people, like, arguing that, like, like the liberation theology aspects of, like, the 
Ayatollah Khomeini and that sort of thing, like develop like were were revolutionary. Yeah, it's, sort it's of. idiotic. Yeah. He was just an anti-communist butcher. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Like, the Ayatollah was a... He was a piece of shit. Like... Ayatollah Asahola. Like, how how many communists has he murdered? Like, definitely... I don't know. I don't know. We don't actually know how many he's murdered. And, you know, he was was a a counter-revolution against, like, a a kind of a spontaneous workers movement. Because there were workers' councils in Iran... In 1979, uh-huh. and there were different leftist parties like trying to fight for influence. But the thing is, a lot of them basically just completely failed and tried to form a popular front with the Ayatollah and led the Iranian working class into butchery. And like, they're a pretty modern country too. Like, they're you know, they're not yeah, one they're, of yeah. They, I mean, they're they're there's a good like 20, 30 year period where like their national cinema was producing like some of like the best like most revered stuff like on the kind of the international film scene well yeah, yeah and in terms of military you know i don't think there's someone to laugh at like you know the whole influence of hezbollah in the middle east is like a, a big factor in just you know what brzezinski would call the global chessboard and a lot <laughs> of u.s policy is about containing hezbollah so i think iran aren't small players in this either even though it is a small country that's you know against the u.s hegemony I think that it also does like participate in this imperialist block and probably benefit from it in direct ways. But like you said, more research is probably needed on that. Yeah. So there's there's just one more thing we need to hit. Um, I like before we close out. Um, I think we need to have um a serious national conversation about a poo from The Simpsons, and how his character is problematic. God, I've been trying to do, I've been trying to ignore this debate, Jake. I've been trying to just pretend it's not a thing. I'm trying to ignore it. I'm just trying to focus on you know real other other news events. Why why are why you, you afraid? Have to bring it up? Why are you why are you afraid to confront white supremacy? Yeah, I why? I just have to say this like it's it's racist, but it's a product of its time. And if we try to like hide. You know everything that's you know I don't know if we if we try to hide the past it doesn't help anyone. It Why just... do you support blackface? Yeah. It's... Well, you know that's I don't support. Well, you mean brownface in this situation? It's moral. It's moral of blackface, sir. And we need to sit down and watch an hour-long documentary where people talk about why this character is problematic. I mean, I just yeah. think that like it's. I have it's, I have seven I have seven think pieces ready to go for the CLT website. I, I oh, been, oh God! Response. Yeah, I, 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 I no I got think my pieces medium, on CLT. I got I got my medium articles all revved up. I, I I'm ready to just just critique this from an intersectional point of view. Um, I, I want to I'm, hear I'm from ready. the I want to hear from the anti-politics point of view. How <laughs> yeah, does how does a poo oh. represent the anti-politics of our modern time? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, um, the real movement. Yeah, he's, he's sticking. Well, he's, poo, the real movement poo, is defending a poo, a poo. Actually, has the right to vote. So there you go. Ooh, ooh. I don't really know yeah, the yeah. Simpsons that well, so I'm not really super familiar with the character, and that's one I, reason oh, I haven't like thought I mean, about it. I think he almost got deported one time because he did almost get deported one time because he wasn't a full citizen. I think, but I think he became a citizen or some shit like that. Yeah, like, like the character 
was always sort of like a crude stereotype, but that's all the characters. But it got worse over say. time. Like the Simpsons it, was basically just a crude stereotype of everyone who was in it. Like yeah, they had like depth at times, like personal depth and things like that. They were broad caricatures of like sitcom tropes from the eighties, but they still had like some you know personal stuff that were like just general character outlines and it was like more you know naturalistic when the show started off and as it went on it just like it it, it, it i think it became more racist it's a symptom think it of be- the generation of the Sim- of the simpsons itself yeah exactly that's exactly yeah. what i was gonna say because like who watches that anymore and like why I, here's what drives me nuts about this it's like the people that are just like we need to have like a serious conversation about this issue and it's like no one's even watching the show anymore like even if they addressed it well and fixed it like who who would give a shit you know? Yeah, it's 30, 30 seasons. It just put it down. It hasn't just been good. Put it... it hasn't been good this century. The Simpsons has not been watchable this century. <laughs> it's yeah. like a rabid dog. You need to put that shit down. It's I'm like, sorry. Just yeah, it's like yell or it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it it's really it's <laughs> should have died. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just and I just the whole thing was just I don't know. The whole thing about that was just so transparently self-serving. Where it's like, you know, like. Like, I was oppressed because of The Simpsons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just became a way for a bunch of, like, liberals to basically do... I hate the term virtue signaling, but that's basically what it was. It was, like, if you wanted to be, like, a, a true liberal against white supremacy, all you had to do was write a column about how Pooh was racist and and you get, you know, your woke points. And it's just... it. It's like uh, the, the whole... It's like, a, it's like collecting poker chips. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that it, it, that that that's the real anti-politics. It's like where everything becomes subsumed into debates about pop culture. Yeah. yeah, like I think it comes from like a particular class of people that like, like I don't want to say rootless cosmopolitans because <laughs> you know obviously it's just problematic for reasons, but it's it's a kind of metropolitan sort of like yuppie up-and-coming yeah, type of person these, whose politics doesn't really go beyond like personal grievances yeah like just per minor grievances here and there and just like boring city life bullshit and, and they're well, kind yeah, of sociopathic all the, too all the, all the people who live in these cities are rich and yeah because of their rich they're sociopathic and so therefore it's, it's all the it's people like, writing these think pieces are rich sociopaths and so it's going to reflect that ideology like yeah yeah, it's like Patrick Bateman. If Patrick Bateman was a real person and alive today, he would be writing medium articles about how put a fucking Simpsons characters are problematic and how to be like a woke and nice guy who just happens to have a few women in his closet. You know, it's just normal things. It's normal things. Yeah, he yeah, modern day Patrick Bateman would like go to yoga class and would go like on these like retreats. And like, he would get very woke. Yeah, he, he would be a woke. He would be the most woke DSA member in the history. <laughs> just a I woman mean, respecter. Uh, that's uh, God. I just the whole that this. It, I think that's the revelation I just had. Kind of is that basically like this entire culture of think pieces is in, it is metropolitan. It comes from people who can afford to live in big cities and make careers of journalism in big cities. And so it's going to, it's, it's like very bougie.
that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be back in the enemy camp. And it will be next week. I'm not bullshitting around this time. We are recording. And we'll be back in the enemy camp. We'll be talking about Carl Schmidt, specifically a piece of his political theology, four chapters on the concept of sovereignty. Specifically, chapter three. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you could like us on Facebook, leave us a good review on iTunes, or you could just straight up give us some money. Uh, Communist League Tampa has been paying for most of the hosting fees and some of the equipment costs for the show. If you'd like to straight up send us some money, you can send it to PayPal, communistleaguetampa at gmail.com, because uh, we're never putting this show on Patreon. We're not giving them their cut. And we're never putting up paywalls for anything. We're not doing any of that shit. The show is free. It always will be. But if you want to throw a couple bucks in the hat, you can. If not, that's fine too. Personally, I'd like to get a new microphone. The one I have is okay, but I broke the stand somehow because it was cheap. And not everyone is able to record on a computer. It'd be nice if everyone had a computer so we could have better sound quality. You know? So the show, I mean, it's really up to you. If you want this thing to not sound like the shitty recorded Google Hangout that it is, uh, maybe consider throwing a couple bucks in the hat. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.